You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour, and it's time, Herds. Flex. To wrap up book one for 2022. It, it feels <laughs> weird being here already. We're discussing chapters 32 to the end of Vasim Khan's The Dying Day. And just, wow. How did we how did we get here so fast, Herds? Yeah, I mean, look, if nothing else, I feel like this book really blitzed through it in a sense. Like it felt mm. like there was a lot. There was a lot to get through, but it also, like, I just kept turning the page, going from chapter to chapter, character death to character death, watching them drop like veritable flies by the end of the novel. Yeah. But you're right. It it, it was a blast from, from about 90% of the novel, but we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into that discussion as we go, I think. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> do want to just start because, you know, obviously last, uh, last week we had the whole riddle situation, so we didn't really yeah. have to recap what oh, happened my goodness. in the book. I'm sorry, um, I got carried away, but yes. No, 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 that was the design of the episode. It was <laughs> an exception for the sake of the challenge we were I doing. understand that, but still, it should show some self If you feel that bad, would you like to do the recap? Oh, I don't remember guys? the story that well. No, you do it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I could tell you all about the riddles, but the story? Get out of life. You talk about it. Yeah, story. so at, at story, the start guys. of this stretch, we have the corpse of James Ingram mm. identified. Well done, Herds. As a Nazi. Uh, oh, we as got the him. man who had attacked uh, Persis Wadia in an, her father's own bookshop. Mm. We then get the autopsy. We discover a photo of him and some other Nazi oh figure in a fishing photograph sewn into his jacket pocket. I don't really know why it was sewn in, but it's, it's To there. hide it, you know, keep it somewhere where he can, he can feel it. Can you imagine, like, staying there in the cold wedding in line to, like, get across some border and you feel the photo in the jacket? You know it's there. It's like a comfort thing but you never actually look at it you know that makes that's like it's like my vibe almost too much sense considering the character too much sense <laughs> Shh. don't think about the character just think about what's dramatic and makes sense movie wise anyway we then have the autopsy of ingram we find that he is uh, a nazi he was an ss officer he has a tattoo as such on his arm his blood type it's great it's a great detail yeah. and we uh we then get into some just kind of hijinks in uh, stopping his commanding officer, Otto uh, Skorzeny. Yeah, we find out that Otto Skorzeny, who is a real historical figure. Yes. Who was responsible for getting Mussolini out of out of Italy. Yeah. In a, at the end of World War II. Apparently, Vasim Khan has selected Otto to be our, our principal antagonist. He's after the Divine Commedia because uh, he and Mussolini, they are twins, uh, metaphorically. And as such, they they vowed to to collect the Divine Comedy. Yeah, I I do have a little bit more of Vasim Khan from when we spoke to him last week to uh Good. to put on the show today. So we'll we'll hear more about that in depth when we get to that discussion in the middle of the show. Mm. But then, herds after after introducing Scorzeni, we find ourselves on the tale of John Healy's last riddle. Oh my goodness. Which I which I solved, by the way. Yes. I loved this one. We're not going to do a full breakdown of it today, but I do want to say Herds did a, an excellent job. If you could give <laughs> us the highlights. I actually was going down the the wrong rabbit hole because there's mention of a, a cutter and many gates. And so I found something called Churchgate and there was mention of there being like a, an, a Navy admiral who'd sunk his ship with it with his... He had a ship that was called a cutter. Mm. And I was like, oh, I'm on, the, I'm on the case. Let me look at another part of the riddle. And when I looked up painted ceiling, sun and moon, it came up with the Freemasons hall and all of the other details in the riddle fit immediately. And so I realized that 
all the research I'd done before that moment had been nothing. <laughs> My final concrete solution was that because it's it's mentioned that uh, you should find the book between Jerusalem and Mecca, yeah. that they were likely referring to the Torah, the, the Jewish scripture, uh, and the Quran, which is the, the the Islamic scripture. See, I I copped out a little bit on this one. I did you? I How? got to about the same point, but then I assumed that there was going to be like something where a church and a mosque used to be like uh, either side of this particular Freemasons. No, hall. no. See, I went onto the Freemasons website <laughs> and I found that there was a, it was a page discussing how. They they keep a copy of every religious text mm. that they are that is incorporated in the Freemasons in a wooden altar in a specific room. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about the actual the actual plot here. So we we corner Otto. I'm gonna call him Otto because then I can just think of the Simpsons and it'll be fine. The guy who drives the school bus. <laughs> yeah, please. Corners Persis and 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 Fernandez corners him. Essentially, Otto has has taken what he believes to be. The Divine Comedy, but it's not because it obviously isn't. Yeah. Um, obviously, Persis has a plan here, and he runs away with it. Uh, and we and we reveal where the Divine Comedy has been hidden, and and there is some some semblance of a wrap up, but that's pretty much the end of like the drama of the novel. Which are we good? Do you want to talk about that now, or do you want to save that for the for the third part here? Um, I, I think the thing that I want to put in here right mm. now is actually some, something that we hedged our bets on discussing last week sure. which was the two girls who come up to Persis ah, of course. Uh, in the middle section of the book and ask her to give a talk on what it's like being the first female police in, uh, detective in all of India Sure. and it, the, the bit in the middle section of the book uh, was really interesting because these two women came up and you made the comment to me Herds that they were being like very selfish mm-hmm. by asking this of Persis when it was clearly something that like she wasn't in a position to do. Everyone was being selfish to some degree in a, in a good way and like a, this is a good writing kind of way. And yeah. it, it was so interesting to me seeing the book end on kind of that. Well because it flips around, right? Like yeah. the the book ends with her saying screw it all I'm going to go give the talk. And she does this because after all of those shenanigans and, uh, you know, not catching Otto, he gets away, but mm. they recover the divine comedy. She gets no mention in the, in the police report, in the newspaper report of how the book was recovered. Yes. Um, and all the glory ostensibly goes to Fernandez, who I actually uh, want to say, I, I've, I found to be an incredibly compelling character by the end. It's a shame yeah, we didn't yeah. get to sit down with him and talk to him. But that's okay. But he he essentially takes a bullet by uh, agreeing to Persis's plan in the final hours of well, the. Uh, he takes a novel. bullet by tripping over in this the middle. Of <laughs> this is true. This is true. He is not. Plan. Yes, this is true. This is true. It, to be fair, if he'd gone with his own plan, he probably would have gotten himself killed instead of the, being the shot. The only way Vasim Khan could have made this more literal <laughs> is if he was carrying a sword and, and fell, fell upon on his it. sword exactly. <laughs> and in indignation. Persis not only decides not to meet up with Zubin, she decides to go and give the talk instead, which is great because it's character development and it's her like finally deciding to 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 throw her glove into the ring, her hat in the ring, whatever the phrase is, <laughs> and like all of the above, fight fight the fight, right? Yeah, her hat and her gloves. It's a really satisfying wrap up to what was a very weird introduction in the middle section of the book because mm. we've had her wealthy friend Jaya introduce whose father was incredibly proud of Persis <laughs> for punching her in the face and giving her what for her like will they won't they but in a weird awkward way 
with Archie Blackfinch. We have her entire relationship with the police department. Yeah, and then they end up going on a date, except in all they but, do, in they all do. but name. In all but name. She's like, if if we happen to go to the same cafe together, well, that would just be that would just be nice. <laughs> the, the point being that they're like introduction <laughs> was kind of a, a, a weird place because we'd already had this long stretch of very uncomfortable ideas and then just like hey persis doesn't fit in anywhere <laughs> um and I, I really like the way that it paid off in the end yeah i'm glad that we end on a very like definitive point of action yes it's not like sequel bait it's just a satisfying full stop it's a satisfying full stop we know what she's gonna go do though there is there is one gripe that i think we both had with with this okay let's let's get into it i i i feel bad because as you said like we've enjoyed this book all the way through we've we've had uh, several debates about discussing this on the show because we really like this book but the the (laughs) ending the ending in my opinion my my personal professional opinion on this show uh, I think the ending is flat. I think the ending is is a bit too sensible, straightforward. Sensible might be the right word. The thing that I noticed uh, when we were discussing the novel is that a lot of the ideas that you posed about how things were going to go, your theories, very much framed it as a full tilt spy novel, whereas it's more a historical novel that just happens to have spies in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which which is fine. Like I, I don't mind it not going full Nazi scientist Wolfenstein mm. nonsense. Like we don't actually have to have undead abominations rising from their graves in the Freemason Hall. As much fun as that would be, <laughs> um, but I, I definitely felt. You know, when we're in the scene with Otto and Persis is there like, oh, no, he's taken the wrapped book that we can't see inside. I'm like, well, there's no tension here. I disagree with you on a few things here, largely just that I think that, you know, playing playing to the history and how things went is totally fine, because if you're going for a historical novel, it's okay for that to happen. The thing that I do agree with you on, though, is that Vasim struggles to restrain himself on espousing the history directly which is totally fine if you're into like learning the history along as you go with the book which i do enjoy and i think that it's great but vasim's level of restraint may not be compatible with everyone (laughs) yeah yeah. anyway that will wrap us for this section of the show we're going to be back with uh the mystery and more Mm. after this little old interview here with vasim khan himself you're listening to death of the reader This is 2SER 107.3, your murder mystery world tour. Stick around. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here with you. Now, last week on the show, we had Vasim Khan on to talk a little bit about The Dying Day, which is the novel that we're discussing today. And I wanted to bring you a bit more of that discussion. Last week, we spoke a little bit more about the riddles, a little bit more about who Persis is. And I wanted to get into some of the other peripheral characters that we had over the course of the novel, because we haven't touched on them, I think, as much as they deserved. So here is us talking with Vasim Khan, speaking a little bit about the broader cast of The Dying Day. One thing that you have been, uh, let's say, threatening to explore the whole way through the series is Persis' romantic side. She's resistant to it, both because she's uh, quite an awkward character and because she'd immediately get the boot if she got married off the force. Now, does the franchise hinge on Persis resigning herself to eternal awkwardness or do you have a, a perhaps a path in mind to get the best of both worlds? Well, you guys are probably too young to remember a terrific <laughs> show that the show that made Bruce Willis famous, uh, Moonlighting. <laughs> now, that show, uh, some of your listeners might remember it. It uh, it was pre- it, it was successful because of the whole will they, won't they between Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd, which they managed to 
to, to carry on for God knows how many series. And in my case, it's it's between Persis and Archie Blackfinch, who's a mm-hmm. Englishman, he's a white chap, and he's in Bombay to help the, the Bombay police force set up a forensic science lab. Uh, he's he's got his own set of idi- idiosyncrasies, and the pair of them initially start off antagonistic, as all good romantic encounters should do. Uh, but then we realize that there is this mutual respect and attraction developing over the course of the series. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, the longer I can keep that tension running without resolving it for the reader, uh, the better. Uh, because there's nothing worse than than having all of your questions answered, really. I mean, theoretically, you keep it going until the end of time. Uh <laughs> Episode one hundred, you know, in the the Persis. It's true. You have really crammed both books <laughs> into the first first few days of nineteen fifty. It's here. true. There's plenty of more you days left on the calendar. You could have one book every day, practically. You could have three hundred sixty five days worth of books in one year. I'm just saying the opportunity is it's endless. I'd capitalize. Well, yeah, the thing I wanted to mention is that Archie took a real kind of backseat in this book compared to Midnight at Malabar House, instead focusing more on like the dysfunctionality of her working with Fernandez after his previous betrayal. Was it easier for you to write a working Sherlock and Watson or did the chaos of Fernandez and Persis make the other pairing a bit more fun? Well, I just don't like Archie. <laughs> no, really? Uh, no, I, I, I mean, look. Um, Curious. When you have a cast of characters, if you try and shoehorn a lot of stage time in for every single one of them in every episode of your series, uh, it becomes quite boring for the reader uh, because you have to find things for them to do. We can't just have Archie coming along and taking up loads of chapters where he doesn't do anything. And if there isn't something credible for him to be doing within the course of that investigation, then I'm afraid the spotlight has to return to the lead character, and that's Persis. I wanted to ask about Neve Forrest, though, because she really got the cold shoulder by several characters. I really love the moment where the uh, the Greek scholar corrects her translation. That was classic. Uh, but it also, in some senses, the story. She's got the uh, too obvious to be the culprit archetype in a lot of ways, but gets consigned to a glum-looking photograph in the Chronicle newspaper at the end rather than the redemption that that archetype often gets. Why did you give the ever obnoxious journalist Shana the last laugh in that situation? Well, I, I, I can't I can't say that it was a conscious decision. I mean, Neve Forrester is an intriguing character. So she's one of these Brits uh, who are known as stayers on. So they're Brits who have spent so much time in India that even when independence swung around, they couldn't imagine themselves going back to a life in, in the home counties or, or up in back in the highlands of Scotland, for instance. So for her, there was never any question of going anywhere else. However, she is also from an era where Brit, the Brits were top dogs. And she has that sense of people, you know, snapping to when she says something or when she orders them to do something. It's very difficult to let go of that just because someone tells you that the, that the damn natives are now independent. Um, and so I guess maybe that's a subconscious reason why Channa, who is, yes, as you rightly say, an obnoxious journalist, but he's an Indian nonetheless. Maybe perhaps that's why I gave him the last laugh, as you put it. Yeah, well, I, I guess the other thing about the ending that I wanted to ask is that we get kind of this like a little almost Indiana Jones style sequence at the end with a showdown against Belzoni, double crossing and ambushing a Nazi. But he still gets away in a sense. There's maybe a feeling that perhaps more robust justice than a handgun will get to him eventually. Why did you choose a real historical figure like Belzoni as a culprit rather than inventing one entirely? Hi there. Editor Flex here. 
I just wanted to let you know that in that question there, I accidentally primed Vasim Khan and myself to use Belzoni's name when the actual character we're talking about is Otto Scorzeni. Don't really know how that managed to happen and also how neither of us caught it, but hey, there you go. Keep that in mind while you listen to this answer. The reason I chose Belzoni is one, because he's an incredibly intriguing character from the Nazi regime, one who has divided opinion, uh, many claim that he wasn't one of these butchers who were, who were in charge of um, concentration camps or who carried out these mass pogroms, that he was a fairly honorable soldier of the old school. And, uh, you know, he fought as a participant in the war. He fought for his country, just as the Allies soldiers fought for their countries. And then he had this incredibly intriguing background where, you know, as you read the book, you discover that he dis- he'd uh, leapt in as an assault commando to, to save Mussolini from uh, ignominy. And then he'd had this incredible, these adventures after the war. He'd gone on the run, he'd escaped justice, and then he'd ended up, weirdly enough, in Egypt as a main lieutenant of NASA, the, the great Egyptian politician and, and military man. So for me, I thought that as a character from history, given that I was already using many aspects from reality, such as the copy of the the Divine Comedy, the Asiatic Society, and some of the other the places and artifacts that uh, Persis comes across during the, the cause of novel, I felt it just fit very neatly into the overall arc of the book. Yeah, and I guess the last thing I wanted to ask about before we wrap up is that we've 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 been gifted the title of, uh, at least the, the provisional title of the third book in the Malabar House series, The Lost Man of uh, Deradun, I believe is how that's pronounced. Can you give us the inside scoop on what we should expect for Persis's third outing? Yeah, um, it's Deradun or Deradun. Uh, either is acceptable. So in this in this third one, we start uh, with a bang. We start with a a man being discovered in the foothills of the Himalayas in a cave, in an icy snow cave. He's been up there for a few years. He's a white chap, it turns out. And there is something on his person, a clue that sends him to Bombay. And because he's a white man, uh, the Indian government decides that they absolutely have to find out who he is. And so they they want someone to figure out for them before, uh, so that it's, it doesn't become a national embarrassment that they can't figure out uh, why this white man was murdered and dumped in this cave up in the in the Himalayas. Another political hand grenade, as uh, Seth puts it in this book. That's absolutely right. Another political hand, hand grenade. And as we go through the course of the novel, we discover how Derudun uh, fits into it and a lot of other history. I mean, my main objective with these books is obviously to showcase a good good mystery. But at the same time, I'm very conscious of the fact that I want people to be immersed in both the environment of India and to get yeah. away from your local environment if you're reading this outside of India, uh, but also to immerse you in these historical nuggets. And each of these books hopefully showcases a range of intriguing historical narratives that uh, hopefully when you finish and you put the book down, you say to yourself, well, that was not just a good crime read, but I really learned some things. Thanks once again to Vasim Khan for joining us here on the show this week. We'll have links up on the podcast, all of Vasim's work, and we'll have an extended version of this discussion going up on the podcast where you get to hear the actual order that it happened in because we did splice a few things around. This is Death of the Reader. We are discussing Vasim Khan's The Dying Day. Stick around. (laughs) 
You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. We are here discussing chapters 32 to the end of Vasim Khan's The Dying Day. Herds, mm, first of all, I would like to congratulate you on opening 2022 with a mm. clean sweep of points. Really? I'm I'm very flattered, honestly. There were definitely some points or some aspects of the story I thought you might dock a point on but um i have one thing i want to ask you <laughs> oh, about no. though oh i'm scared during our discussion with vasim khan he threw you a bunch of extra points <laughs> i believe it was five five uh but he threw you four he threw so. me four are you going <laughs> to accept these five oh. additional points on the grounds that i also received the four additional points i was offered are we are we going to set the precedent that Guests on the show can give points this to This decision people. is up to you, Hurts. Yeah, no, no. I Look, I am 100% down for this. I love the idea of guests just coming on the show and being like, you get points for that. Can I Can get I stipulate there. a rule to this, though? <laughs> Are we going to put a maximum on this? No, 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 no. no. There, there, is, there is no maximum there on this. No, okay. The, the rule is, is that we can never explicitly tell a guest that we are doing this mm-hmm. and if they comment to us that they know we are doing this mm-hmm. their points are null and void sounds good to me so if, if an author is hearing this discussion right now and is coming on the show later and awards us points they cannot tell us that they heard this segment do not mention the discussion that sounds great all right fantastic I, i'm down for that because then it becomes a bit and we don't want that <laughs> I, look i'm into this points we can take points but only if you don't mention that you're you're doing it for uh, for the show. That sounds good to me. <laughs> I'm into that. Yeah, sure. Look, I'll take four points because there was there was one for doing the alternate two theories. There was two for the second riddle, which I felt very very good about, and then one for solving and I guess enough of the yeah. story. There, there were definitely some holes in the things you said. Uh, yeah, no way. <laughs> really, <laughs> were there? Um, <laughs> including but not limited to John Healy being the guy who brought the Divine Comedy to India some uh, few decades before John Healy was born. Ah, uh, whatever. That's um, <laughs> it would have been cool. Maybe he got taken to Nazi Germany. Look, I don't know. Maybe he got stolen. Maybe that's a story for another Maybe time. Maybe it is. The story of how John Healy stole back the Divine Comedy with his his. Maybe one ruin. day John Healy was resting in the mountaintops above uh, above Italy and strode down into the valley to meet with the Leibowitzian monk. That sounds good. Turns out he's been alive for hundreds of years and cataloging the history of humanity. Yeah, yeah. And that makes his death a much bigger tragedy. It does. It, if anything, it adds gravitas. I, I don't see why you'd be <laughs> against this twist. Vasim Khan, let us write your fourth book for you. <laughs> <laughs> You've still got the third one in the works. Given, given the people I know who are into historical fiction, and there's a few of them who listen to the show and a few of them who email me regularly for book recommendations, and I'm starting to run out. Uh, so if you notice a trend of historical fiction from me on the show, that's why. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> to find more fuel, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the thing, the thing I know that they all love about the genre is that it is basically a sounding board for them to find out about historical things that they can then maybe go read some nonfiction about sure which is a really cool idea i love that as a premise of like you know using fiction as a vessel to engage with nonfiction, mm. and i think that this book does a phenomenal job of hitting that particular part of the historical fiction target demographic i definitely feel like i could become a freemason any in any moment now <laughs> no i mean look i i actually found uh, the second riddle, because I look, I learned all the books of the Bible at a young age. I learned the Bible book rap, and I I wrapped it in front of 
my whole grade to show how good I was at the books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know that their names meant, you know, had literal meanings. I didn't even know that. Yeah, you got to connect with your father on learning this particular piece of history. Thank his Christian soul for all that he has done for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I, I really en- I did enjoy it because, yeah. you know, it's always good to set off on a journey of I'm going to get entertained and then by the end of it think, well, I actually learned something important or at least interesting by the end of it. I think those are the best book experiences. Like, I mean, that's why when we did review season, we had, you know, what do we enjoy? What were the best murder mysteries? And like, what had the best lesson? Yeah. And sometimes the lesson is a history lesson, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. I love that. I think the, the other thing I wanted to talk about with the mystery was the way that Vasim used Healy's like contacts. Yes. Well, you know, we had Belzoni in there, which was interesting because, you know, the, the entire thing like Who died horribly starts yep. to come to a head when he's basically murdered at the estate that he's staying at. We mentioned last episode so how much we love Aaron Lockhart as a like representative of the Smithsonian. Mm. And how you got to uh, Ingram aka Bruna by realizing that like he was the odd one out who didn't really have his interrogation. Yes. I really liked this application of the suspect lineup in a non-closed circle mystery. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, it felt so organic considering how methodical it was, which I thought was really impressive. I I mean it's a it's a a reasonable extrapolation from the usual, you know, mansion house murder. Yeah. You go around questioning the suspects and each of them gives you a small piece of the puzzle of what happened during the night or the day or yeah. what is happening currently as people are being murdered. And then witnesses are silenced once they give up too, too much information or if they have a critical piece of information. So it's why Belzoni had to die because he got too helpful. Yes. <laughs> the man yes. was, he was too helpful in solving the mystery and solving the riddles. So of course he had to die. Yeah, it it was really perfect as well because it like it didn't single out anyone in a way that made the mystery kind of feel too obvious by the end. It wasn't too obvious, no. The the whole hook about it being Nazis and them hunting treasure in Europe and John Healy's connection to that is is very obvious. It's great. But you're still not quite sure like what the that last piece of the puzzle is. I very much did enjoy that one of the Predominant clues, Akolothio Alethia, Alethia, the follow the truth or follow Alice. Yes. We see the Greek before we see the uh, the clue that might help you put things together when we get to John Healy's apartment or, or his room or whatever. And we see the Hindi to English dictionary, which is the big, the the almost like the smoking gun indicating, yes. you know, fiddle with, uh, with, with language and try and look for double meanings in... Uh, in obvious words, more authors could stand to use language tricks using other languages uh, that that actually are fair play, I suppose. Uh, I think that oh, there's be, that really word. Good. Well, that's <laughs> always the question, isn't I it? I guess the the last thing that I I did kind of like, which might be contentious for you, herds, Uh-oh. was that I like that we didn't get too deep into the metaphors of the texts in question oh goodness like in in a, in a different book uh-huh. you could definitely ham up you know like the, unnamed the, double, the yes. hunting for beatrice journey of the divine <laughs> comedy or you know going after the mad hatter from from the looking glass but i feel like you'd get something almost too operatic 
for the dying day and i admire the restraint well <laughs> i well this i mean this ties back into the discussion we we're having at the end of part one where like yeah i would have liked to have seen something a bit more operatic a bit more exciting and I strange mean, definitely but that's just personal taste i i definitely think that this novel is is fine the way that it is you know this book hits exactly where it needs to be and it hits a very particular type of historical fiction reader it's not the huge, elaborate, metaphor, screaming drama. It's about social issues. It's about history. And it teaches you a lot along the way. Yeah. Yep. And I I just, I love the way that Vasim does it. You know, it's, it's obviously not going to be like your top pick for historical fiction because you're a big drama boy. It's true. I'm a theatre kid. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. It's true. Accurate. But I it's... think it is, you know, it, it just gets it right. All I will say- is that out of all the things that you've said and I've said, I will recommend this novel to anyone who wants to be edu- educated about India, about Bombay, about Mumbai. I think that that is its strongest quality. It is the part of the story that I enjoyed the most. The other parts of the novel I enjoy, but that that element there is what I would recommend for the the education and the, the education on history there. Fantastic. All right, Herds. What are we covering next week? Yes, well, we're going to be doing something a little bit, a little bit fun, a little bit strange. Uh-huh. We're only two media properties in, and we're already moving away from books because we're going to be covering Death on the Nile, oh, uh, no. directed by Kenneth Brunner, uh, which is coming out like this week. Yes, like this is this is the time to go and see it. Because next this time next week gonna be we're gonna be covering that and talk about our thoughts oh and feelings. Oh my goodness. I'm excited. I hope you are too. Yeah, that is gonna be a full spoilers episode. I yep, yep. I really enjoyed with an asterisk <laughs> Kenneth Branagh's murder on the Orient Express. So I am excited with an asterisk to see death on the nile i'm gonna be honest i haven't seen the first one i haven't seen the orange express adaptation oh you and i are gonna have to catch up on we're gonna that. have to watch that before i <laughs> have to find some time but uh yeah oh forward yes to it. I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well this is death of the reader your murder mystery world tour here on 2ser 107.3 thank you so much for joining us here on the show Thank you to Vasim Khan for this excellent book. We'll be back next week with Kenneth Branagh's Death on the Nile, freshly released film. See you then. Yeah, see you then.